Greeting EMDR friends and colleagues. Today I am going to get curious with you about how we know something is working or not working in EMDR therapy. And this is this is philosophical. I mean, I'm going to actually think about this with you in terms of like how we know something is working or not working in life <laughs> and then apply that with to EMDR because um, this, this video today, this podcast really was born out of, um, my love of teaching and y'all know I have a history as an adult educator at Stanford Medical School for many years. Um, and I'm fascinated with the way people learn and the way they interpret information. So naturally being an EMDR therapist and EMDR consultant, it all connects and ties together, right? My, my love for the brain and the learning process, um, so I'm going to talk about that today because one of the biggest, probably maybe the biggest frustrations I see as an EMDR consultant with my EMDR consultees is this, and you've heard this, either you've said this or you've heard this in your consultation group, this idea of like, oh, this isn't working. Like I did this thing <laughs> for this client and it's not working. And there's like all this frustration and, um, yeah, it's tense. And it's tense for the clinician. It's tense for the client. So I want to talk about that today because I feel like it's a worthy topic and I hope it, it feels helpful to all of you, whether you're a consultant or a consultee um, or just a person. <laughs> I hope that today's insights and reflections give you some value. For those of you who have not got a chance to meet me yet, I'm Cambria Evans. I'm the teaching and learning EMDR consultant in San Jose, California, and I am so excited for us to talk about this topic because my hope is by the end of this short podcast today, we will feel like we can just chill out <laughs> and not feel tense when something is or is not working. Um, and in order to think about this with you, I y'all know I love to use... Um, non-clinical example. So those of you who are parents will love this one. <laughs> so I've mentioned many times I have uh, twin girls. They are very fraternal. And y'all, they're about to be five years old. They're about to go to kindergarten out of my house. I'm going to have a quiet house soon. I can't believe it. Um, but anyway, they're, they're very different. I mean, they're, they're very different. And to be fair, you know, my husband and I are very different. And um, never in my wildest dreams did I think he and I would be partnered together. And we've made these very different children. Um, the way that they perceive everything is different. The way that they learn is different. The way that they get comfort is different. And um, every single one of our clients is different, right? And so it makes sense that as a parent, I would not expect, you know, one thing that works for Annie really well, probably likely will not work for AV. Um, and it's interesting because my husband and I will like read these parenting books and we'll talk to other parents. And I even bought like an online program about parenting a couple of weeks ago because we couldn't quite figure out bedtime uh, in this phase of development. <laughs> um, and everyone has a protocol or something to say about try this or do this. This will work. This won't work. And it makes me dizzy. 
It makes me dizzy as a parent. Not so much as an EMDR clinician, but, but really as a parent. And if you're a parent, maybe you feel this way as well. Maybe you can relate to what I'm saying. Um, but I, I had a client recently who was talking with me about his um, son. And we figured out together that when he can't get something right, uh, when he tries something with his son, who's also younger, um, this whole process happens unconsciously. And we did this really beautiful session where we mapped out the way his brain processes something not working. And in a nutshell, because I won't spend, you know, 45 minutes reviewing the whole session, but in a nutshell, what we discovered was that when he has something that's supposed to work for his son and it doesn't work, the story he then as the parent tells himself is, I'm a bad dad, something's wrong with me, I'm doing it wrong. And then there's this whole emotional experience that happens, right? It's like this shame spiral. It's like this shutting down. He doesn't even have anything left available to him to feel um, creative or curious. It's just, it's very fast for him. So of course we process this in session, but I'm mentioning this today because, you know, as an EMDR consultant in my consultation groups, I'm constantly tracking my learners learning process, right? And I'm much like a parent with children, I'm noticing my consultees, how they perceive what's working and what's not working and what narratives come up for them when something isn't working the right way. And as a consultant, this is such a, um, a crucial element of your role, right? And I'll talk more about this. I'm going to be launching um, a consultation kit this summer for those of us who are already consultants or those of us who want to become consultants or are CITs. Um, teaching is an incredible process, much like parenting, much like being a therapist, right? Because we're always teaching and we're always promoting learning environment. So it's important to notice whether you are a parent or a, consul a consultant, how is this person learning not in terms of the content I'm giving them, but like what are they deciding about themselves as they learn or as they try something, right? We're doing this with our clients also with EMGR, but I think in consultation, this is less obvious, okay? So when I hear someone come into consultation saying to me, this isn't working, I'm not even thinking about what, the protocol is that they're trying to use. I'm not even asking about the clinical content of this client's case. That's not important yet. <laughs> what is important and what I want to know as the consultant or as the parent is we're trying this thing, right? It may or may not work, but like what's happening to the learner, what's happening to the client as they're going through this experience, what's happening to the uh, consultee as they're trying this experiment, what's happening to the parent, <laughs> what stories are we telling ourselves? And it's really important to notice themes, right? Just like with our clients, to notice themes of um, negative and positive cognitions. You with me so far? So if I'm in my consultation group and I'm facilitating some learning for a consultee, I want to see, is this a consultee who is in the positive cognition of, 
I can figure this out. If they're not there in that positive cognition, that is more important for me to give attention to than the content of what they're trying to learn, right? It's important for me as a parent, as a teacher, as a therapist, that the person who's learning something new has a really beautiful learning process where they're in positive cognitions. Because what's true is that they have a frustrated learning experience. Like I tried this protocol and it didn't work. <laughs> I've said this before too, by the way, I'm, I'm guilty. Um, then it's gonna shut down learning and it's gonna create an association in their mind, right? So like this dad, he now has an association with his son that if he's gonna try something new when it's their time to spend time together, it's not gonna work. Like he has these associations, almost like a trauma response that's formulating in his body of um, that's creating some hesitancy for him to try things to connect with his son, right? Much like in consultation, right? You see where I'm going here? We notice that our consultees who don't have positive learning experiences get aversions to trying things or aversions to learning and they get scared. They get anxious, right? I see this all the time. I have yet to see someone come out of basic training and just be like totally calm and not anxious and scared. Okay. Um, <laughs> most people in my groups are like, you know, feeling insecure or not feeling confident yet because they just got fire hose and they had this really ineffective learning experience. So they didn't have the positive cognitions of I can figure this out, you know, and just the idea of like learning in general, like the idea that there's going to be, um, this thing that I take and I use with somebody and it's like not working just that, just that concept itself doesn't even make any sense to me. And here's why. <laughs> I always give the why. Everything is an experiment. I've said this before. Every single thing we do is an experiment. And that is like what we want our clients to take away, what we want um, our consultees to take away, what we want our kids to take away, right? Life is an experiment. We can try things on. They may or may not work, but they always are working for us. And here's why. I'm gonna give you a clinical example. I had a consultee come to me, actually from another consultant who's very well known, and she said, I, I did Nipes Loving Eyes with this client, and it didn't work. Um, and she sent me a transcript. She's like, look at this transcript. Look at all the, here, it didn't work here. It didn't work here. It didn't work here. And I'm trying Nipes Eyes, and she is looking at herself, and it's not working. So for those of you who don't know, I would have you Google this. Um, Jim Knight is a fabulous clinician and, and teacher, and he has this loving eyes protocol, right? Which helps with people who have a lot of relational or attachment trauma, where essentially you have the client go back and like lovingly look at their younger selves. Um, and for some clients that's really impactful and for others, um, not so much, right? So with this consultee, she sent me the transcript and said, here's all the ways it didn't work. So I read th through the transcript and what I was seeing was the client's disorganized attachment, right? Of some connection with her, her younger self and then pulling away. So I was seeing her attach and detach, attach, detach, attach. And to me, that feels like what I, what I would kind of expect with somebody who has 
really complex relational trauma, um, I would expect them to be able to maybe look at themselves but not hold a securely attached gaze for very long or have some other part come in to disconnect or criticize. So it wasn't giving the consultee what she thought was supposed to happen, right? I'm thinking of my twins. <laughs> They're totally different. <laughs> what works for one doesn't work for the other, and I love them both. But but what was working for her, what was working for this consultee was that this transcript was full of clinical information. It was confirming the disorganized attachment, right? And it actually had in the transcript all the places that it was working, okay? And for me as the consultant, I was able to see the learning experience of the consultee, okay? I was able to see that this consultee, um, it was harder for her to see where it was working than where it wasn't working. Or sorry, backwards. It was harder for her to see where it was working instead of where it wasn't working, okay? Um, so that gives me a lot of information as a consultant, right? About what might be the positive cognitions and negative cognitions of this learner as my consultee. Okay. Now, do you see how meta this is, you guys? <laughs> this is so cool, right? This is why it gets philosophical and, and interesting because um, if you come into consultation, if you come into client work with this belief system of all I'm going to do is track your PCs and NCs and respond to those, right? Then you have alleviated a lot of um, stress and pressure already, Okay. Here's another example of something not working, and maybe you've experienced this before. So I cannot tell you how many times I have um, <laughs> seen in the Facebook groups, of EMDR Facebook groups, somebody comes on. It's like, it happens every day, I think, in these groups. Someone comes on and says, I tried to do safe place or container because that's the resource you get in your basic training, and it didn't work. Uh, I tried to do safe place and it didn't work because the client um, like couldn't relax and it's not working. Okay, let's th let's try this on. Everything's always working for me, okay? Again, fraternal twins. Maybe your client isn't a safe place resource client. Maybe your client's not a container client. And that's okay, right? But you're getting clinical information. And that is what is always working for you, okay? Uh, there was a post someone wrote about someone like tried to make a safe place and then like alligators started to come in. That's rich clinical data. Is that going to be a her safe place resource and that's going to help her state change? It's not. <laughs> it's not at all. But for me as the clinician, that's working for me that we did that exercise. That's working for me that we tried to do a safe place container. It didn't give us the outcome we were supposed to get with giving her a safe place resource. No problem, we'll try something else, right? We're very creative and flexible. But it gave us something and it gave her something because every exercise we try with our clients allows them to see themselves with us, which is intimate and relational and positive, right? Many of you have also, talking about resourcing, many of you, many of you have also noticed that when you try to do Parnell's um, nurturing figure, protective figure, wise figure, 
it's always hard. I, I have not, I've yet had one client who was able to do all three, to able, you know, identify all three, nurture, protector, and wise. That has never existed before. Um, always there's one, at least one category where people are like, I don't know, Cambria, I've never had anyone protect me before. I've had to protect myself. Or I had a client who was like, I cannot believe I don't know what nurturing feels like. Okay. Now, was it not working? In one perspective, sure. Yeah. This client isn't going to have a nurturing figure. Okay. But what did we do that was working for us? We got to notice some resources that weren't there. And that gave me a ton of clinical information about her attachment experiences that I didn't have to go through a trauma timeline and all questionnaire and blah, blah, blah. That was, that was really informative. Okay. What else is working for us in this experience? Well, she was able to notice with me, I cannot believe, I don't know what this feels like. And she was able to be with some of that grief, which is part of her attachment EMDR work. Okay. She was able to see herself clearly with me relationally connecting. Right. Now, can this client do EMDR? Yes, she can, because she can have a protective figure and a wise figure and a safe place or a calm place. Like she can use other resources. Okay. But it's not going to be nurturing figure. And that's okay because that's not working for her as a, as an option in terms of a, a resource for phase two. But the process of going through it works for us, not against us. And it's when we decide that going through an experience is worked against us. I think that's where learning is cut off and the joy of learning is suppressed. And we just get, we just kind of like fumble and get in our own way because it's, it's like we get frustrated and frustrations are very, um, like the body experience of frustration is very tight and clenched. That's why I keep doing that. And you can't, you can't learn and be open and creative and curious when your body is like this, right? So all of this to say, whether you are an EMDR clinician and or a parent and or a consultant and or a con consultee, I want you to think about what positive cognitions and negative cognitions you are bringing into your learning experience. I want you to think about how you frame, like what framework are you using when you try something new, whether it's a resource exercise in phase two, whether it's NIPES, you know, protocol, whether it's a parenting strategy, what's the framework that you are living in? Because you live in this framework all the time. If you don't know what framework you're living in, think of how powerful you could feel if you knew that, right? Are you living in a framework that's like, I'm going to do this thing and if it doesn't work, I'm going to clench up and just, right? And it's not working for me. Or are you a kind of person, learner, who's like, well, that was interesting. I got a ton of information from that not working and so thankful for that. Let's see what else I can try because life is an experiment. And notice in that space, your body feels better and it feels like you're having more fun. And if you don't get to have fun at work, then like, what is the point? <laughs> what is the point? Right? So I want you to think about this 
when you're feeling tight, uh, when your consultees come to you like this, um, that we are living in a constant experiment and, and that is the point. That is the point of all of this. Um, so I hope this feels helpful. You know, a lot of you, um, I don't market a ton, but a lot of you have already purchased uh, this resource guide that I've made called You Always Have a Resource. And in this guide, I have um, just a very conversational guide um, for clinicians about the way I think about resourcing. And then I also have a customizable client workbook because what I believe in my heart and what I hope and hope and hope is that instead of going to basic training and learning about safe place and container, there will be a flip, a philosophical educational flip that people will actually learn to have their clients choose their own resources. That's it. We don't need a client to be able to do safe place or container to do EMDR. All we have to see is that they have the ability to state change themselves when they want to. And it doesn't have to be with those resources. It doesn't have to be with Parnell's nurturing figure, any of that stuff, right? There's so many options. And I truly believe that if you believe and, and experience and see that you always have a resource and your client sees that with you, you are limitless as an EMDR clinician and your client is limitless as somebody who wants to go through their trauma targets and go live their amazing life. So if you haven't checked it out already, uh, go to the zerodisturbance.com website and check out the resource guide tab. It's called You Always Have a Resource. Um, and as always, with any Zero Disturbance product you purchase, you have access to me to email me and ask me questions about it. I believe in uh, learning as a conversation and not a one-time deal. So let me know if you um, have purchased it, what you, how you're thinking about it, how it's working for you. Um, and I want to put out a challenge. <laughs> I want to put out a challenge for anyone who has purchased this. Uh, you always have a resource you know, uh, clinician guide and also the client workbook. If you have had a client who is not able to use anything in this workbook, like nothing in this workbook is working for them, I will refund you the money and I will personally consult with you to figure out how to resource this client. Okay. So check it out. I want you to feel like you have what you need. And in the meantime, please stay safe, healthy, and I am always rooting for your success. Take care.